The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Uh, hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and uh, joining me, first time guest, Charlie Clawson. Now, uh, here's the thing though, um, I have never before, uh, I've saved this until we uh, started doing the podcast, um, but I have never before had more requests for somebody to be a guest, Charlie, on this show than our guest today. It is guest Charlie Burt Kreischer. How are you, mate? I'm fantastic. That's, yeah. That, for real. For real. Like, I mean, I think, for, I think maybe like a lot of people who listen to this podcast must listen to your podcast and so... It feels to me that's where it comes from. Like often, what I get is a like a combination of either you should have Bert on your podcast or you should go on Bert's podcast. So I, I would f- love to have you on my podcast. Well, I, I mean, uh, apparently there's podcast. at least four or five people who would also love that. So. <laughs> <laughs> So it's nice to have you here, my I friend. Think, I think I made my career from podcasting. Like, I think my po- podcasting helped my career exponentially. Better than TV. Like, I'm, I'm not even doing TV anymore, just doing my podcast, and my career's never been better. Why do you think that is? Because, I mean, I love podcasting. I've been doing it for a long time. I have, like, four of them. Like, it's, you know, as I like to say, I have an entire imaginary radio station. And yeah. people often ask why, you know? Like, all the time you have to put into it, all the effort you have to put into it. What is it about the podcast that I... What do you like about it? But B, what do you think the audience like about it? Um, I'll tell you what I like about it. I just, drove driving over here, just said this is what I love about podcasting. Paulie Shore was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he said he's very sad that he doesn't have a film career anymore. And he was very open and honest about being on Adam Sandler's set for his movie and how he wanted to be the star, how he wanted... Like it was, and I go, that's vulnerable. Like that's vulnerability. That's honesty. You you'd never see Paulie Shore talk like that on stage. Never, never. So as a fan of someone's, or not even as a fan, when you see someone share vulnerability or honesty or or just candor, like it's like the I, I like I liked Ricky Gervais, but man, when I heard his podcast, I loved Ricky Gervais, and I think that I'm that way. Like my stand-up's good, <laughs> but. It, it, I think when you hear me on a podcast, you go, oh, that's a little bit of what he does on stage with a whole lot of other real stuff that, that strangers would never sit through. Well, you know? yeah, but the other thing is that, I mean, look, there's such beauty in the complexity of things because, like, you know, sometimes even, like, maybe there'll be something from this podcast that ends up on stage. Oh, that's that my entire act is based off of things I said on a podcast that people lost it, and I got... I mean, my... I can't even tell you the people that listen to podcasts are the coolest fans ever. When I went and did Rogan probably six years ago, five years ago, and I told the machine story, Rogan said, you need to tell the machine story every time you go on stage. And he goes, you guys listening, force him to tell that story. Shout out the machine until he tells it. Because Bert, this will change your career. He's like, if you just keep telling it, it'll get good. 
So the next week I was in Columbus, this guy sitting in the front row and they're chanting the machine and I'm going, guys, I don't tell it on stage. At the time, quite honestly, I was a derivative hacky comic. In, in all honesty, I was doing material that was, some of it was good, like you'd find some nuggets, but for the most part, I think it was a lot of this fun boy party comedy, like Dane Cook, Nick Swartz, and nothing against either of their acts, but like, you know, interchangeable Steve Byrne, Brett Ernst. Not Sebastian, but probably Sebastian at the time. And, um, right. There's guys that I would put in a category. Well, perhaps some of those guys transcend this category. And yeah. and I don't mean this in an offensive and, yeah, way. Yeah, I don't mean it offensive but, but, at all. But the sort of guys that if you went to a comedy night and they're on, they're going to crush. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. whatever the night is, they will crush. For me, but, it was more about crushing. Yeah. Like I was young and I just thought, I want to crush. I was like 37, 36 maybe. And, uh, and I go up and they're chanting the machine. And I knew this is a 12-minute story. That I once I start, I have to commit to. I'm right. not going to do it. I go, guys, it's not a stage story. This guy's a podcast fan in the front row, and he goes, "Hey, Bert, listen. We know it's not going to be good, but you need to do this." And I'm like, <laughs> "What fucking fan do you?" I'm like, I literally was like, "Dude, can I find 500 of you right. and have you everywhere?" And 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 now when I work a story, and now I'm I feel like all I do is tell stories. But when I work a story. I hear that guy in my head going, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. But if you want to be a better comic, you need to keep doing it as it sucks. The story I have right now that's killing is a ziplining story with my family. The first time I did it, it bombed. But I knew, I was like, if I just keep doing it, it'll, it will get good. And now it, it is crushing. And I go... And I just hear that in my head. But by the way, I would have never done that have one podcasting. Yeah, so that's the thing that's interesting to me. So this world of podcasting, how it actually affects your stand-up in reverse. Because this journalist who was asking me these questions about podcasting, uh, one of the questions they asked me, and asking me a whole bunch of things that I don't really engage with or think about that often. So yeah. it just kind of made me st start to have to think about them. And he was kind of looking at it from the perspective of how has it affected your stand-up in regard to people coming to see your stand-up, which it certainly has. Like, you know, yeah. there are people who come out from the podcast. But what I really was like, no, it's affected my stand-up because it's reminded me, like the things that people have responded to on this podcast have been moments of complexity or moments where you've taken like 12 minutes to tell a story because sometimes if you tell it in three minutes, you're going to get a black and white one angle on what the story was about. But if yeah. you tell it in 12, you get to have the journey of here's where I was wrong, here's where they were wrong, here's where yeah, this thing happened, here's where I learned this. You can and and you you're telling it to another comedian often and they ask the question that an audience would have asked right and yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no no, no 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 feel free to interrupt it's fine <laughs> it's fine if we're gonna not interrupt each other that's i don't think this is but, oh, I, can you can you just be in a fight with my wife then she goes don't interrupt me i go that's how a conversation works you say something then i say something and sometimes you say something that makes me think of something and i say it oh my god um i think podcasting is is the one thing i say when it goes uh how does it affect people coming to your shows the number one thing i get said that people say to me at a show, not, not number one thing, but like number one things, will you do a shot with me? But the number <laughs> one of the mo ones that I like the best is, uh, Hey man, thank you for all the free content. And it's just, you know, I, I it's one of the things like some guys that start podcasts and they make it like a billing service and you got to sign up and pay monthly. I go, I, I think you're missing the point. You know, John Ronson who wrote a book. Um, so you've been publicly shamed. And he's doing something for Audible. I like Audible, but it's it's not in my like my three point shooting circumference with my thumb. Like I can real quick go. What am I going to listen to on this ride? And just swipe over, hit podcast, go to go to uh, the podcast app, 
and go, who we got, who we got. And I went, oh, Paulie Shore, that's cool. And then Paulie says, oh, I did Joey Diaz's and I got so high I couldn't finish it. I'm like, okay, I'll be listening to that all right at home. So, like, I don't know, man. I, I love them. I always say I, I had a meeting with uh, my agency and they're like, um, we have a new podcast guy. I know you have a podcast rep. But, like, we'd be interested if you'd just at least take the call and see if you'd be interested in leaving. So I was like, sure. And I talked to the guy. And I said, hey, man, just so you know, you're talking to a guy who's really into podcasts. So, like, I hope that you have more information than me. And he was like, oh, I know what I'm doing. And then halfway through, he's like, I, I, clearly I don't, man. I'm sorry. Right. I didn't know you were legit. I'm a legit podcast fan. Yeah. Like, that's what I listen to. So what it, what what were the podcasts that you were listening to before you started podcasting? Oh, uh, Ricky Gervais, Joe Rogan, uh, Mark Maron. Mark Maron's, and I, and not, but Mark Maron, when he puts, I loved when he did comics. I, I'm not a big fan of the band guys. Yeah, I'm with um, you. I don't like filmmakers. I don't want to. I don't get these stars off this fucking podcast yeah. and get some comics on. Just get comics. Just find a whole. Get Mark. You, you're back playing the clubs. I'm sure you're having awkward interactions with other comedians I'm again now. All the time. Just come get them on your <laughs> podcast and sort out those awkward interactions yeah. so that I we have, can listen can, to them. You can have people back, Mark. Like yeah. have Doug Stanhope back. Like yeah. he's. It's been six years since you had him on. Right. Like, it was, and also, you know what? It was not. Nice that you had the president on, yeah. but maybe you'd have a beef with the president and then get him back on so that you guys have to sort out where you had your beef. But and and Mark's still like I listened to the one he did the other day. Sometimes he has an actor on that surprises me, and I go, "Oh, this guy's pretty deep." This is like he had Jason Bateman on. That was fucking amazing. It was amazing. But like but like uh, Marin's, Rogan's, uh, uh, Ricky Gervais. Uh, I was I was obsessed with uh, This American Life uh-huh. and. Uh, and those were probably my quick go-tos, you know, and then anyone, like, that was at the time when if someone ha- got a started a podcast, I'd get into it. Um, now, well, that, they were the good old days, yeah. that's, because that's often these days when somebody asks you about the podcast, they're like, yeah. what's your podcast about? And I was like, oh, no, we're <laughs> from a time where it was enough that you had a podcast. Yeah. It didn't need to be about something. For a while, it was just like, there's a new one. We'll listen to that one as well, I guess, because we um, ran out of the other five podcasts. It, it, there was a moment where they were just trying to get any MMA fighter and a comedian to get right. a room together. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do a show with, there's this guy, Jason Mayhem Miller. Uh-huh. Uh, he's a he is notorious like uh like on the edge of sanity okay and uh he did a, this really long real sports interview on uh, real sports on hbo that was bizarre like bizarre and uh i wanted to do a podcast with him and just go because he's an intense guy I go hey man you don't even have to leave your house all i need you to do is i'm gonna record an intro and then you i'll send it to you you listen to it and then just comment and just blow up and then I'll pretend we shot it together and then you walk out of the room and I'll just go well he's gone and we'll do it and so but I never did it I've had a million I've had a million great ideas for podcasts that I've wanted to do I wanted to do um I, t- I mean one of the most Steve Renazizi's we thought we thought of it on my podcast it's called hear me that book where someone's never he doesn't read the book and someone who has comes in and just tells him about a book <laughs> I've wanted to do a bunch, but just like, just give me what I need to know. Yeah. Just, I don't need to know it all. Just run me through it. Give my, me the general vibe. My so Harry Potter's <laughs> like the wizard, right? Is he a wizard? Did he live in a cupboard? Just tell me the shit I need to know. Dude, I what's, tried, what's a Gryffindor? <laughs> I tried desperately. I used to work for a network called Travel Channel uh-huh. um, for like seven years. For seven years, I kept trying to get them. They are owned by Scripps, which owns cooking, food, um, 
travel, DIY, HGTV, all the home improvement ones. I tried forever to get them to start a podcast network. I was like, you have no idea what you guys have all the stars right. in ho the home category. Just start a podcast. Oh, the absolute things that people, and you can see it now with the big sort of podcast one and those sort of big, you know, yeah. kind of commercial radio apps. They're, they're going after those people. They're getting those celebrity chefs. They're getting those sort yeah. of celebrity, you know, DIY people. And Bobby, they're all. Do you know who Bobby Flay is? Yes. Bobby, I'm a big um, cooking show fan. Okay. Like, a really big cooking show fan. And I'm also, like, my favorite, uh, just for the record, because I just. Uh, is Tom Colicchio from Top Chef. Do you know? Have you ever watched uh, Top Chef? Oh, no. I, I love that show, but also I love him. But also I love. He just deals out sweet burns on people on yeah. Twitter around politics. And it's like. I, I'm really into it. I've become quite a big fan of his Twitter feed because really? like, he is not happy with what's happening in America <laughs> and he puts it in a really fun way. And then when people get mad because he's the guy from Top Chef, he burns <laughs> them in a way that he would kick someone out of Top Chef for burning food. It oh, is the best. I oh, love it. I got to check but, him out. Yeah, Bobby Flay. So no, Bobby back Flay, to Bobby. Bobby Flay wanted uh, and I are partying in Houston one or in Dallas one night mm. and he's like, uh, we're doing an event. He's like, hey, I'm in LA uh, tomorrow. I know you're in LA and he's like, uh, I'm really interested in podcasts. Do you mind if I could come on your podcast? I want to see what it's about. And I was like, sure. He was under the impression that we would be in some big studio right. with like, with air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> he came, he came to my house. I was in gym shorts, no shirt. And I was like, and he was in a suit with a driver and he had like, a, and he was like, uh, where do we do it here? I said, Oh, we do it in my man cave. We went back in my man cave and he was like, and all I have is my H6 and my two mics. And he's like, where's everyone else? And I go, this is it, Bobby. <laughs> and he was like, are you kidding me? He's like, I can do this. I go, no shit. That's why like, I always hear when, when you hear celebrities go, uh, I'm, I won't say the celebrity's name, but I ran into him the other day and I was like, hey, I want to have you on my podcast. He's like, well, I, can I do it right when my podcast comes out? Because I'm about to start a podcast. I said, sure. When's that? And he goes, well, we're almost done signing the deal, so... Uh, when as soon as the deal's closed, we're gonna I'm gonna start and I go deal with who? And he was like, uh, I gotta get you know it's a big deal to start a podcast. And I went, you just go to like Sam Cook or Goody Music and just get a, a recorder and two mics and that's it. And he that's was like, it. he was like, oh no, I gotta get my producers on board. You don't need and producers. I was like, you don't. I mean, eventually it'd be good to have one. It don't get nice. me wrong. It would be nice for someone to keep track of my SD cards. That would be nice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong. We now have a producer. His name's Michael. He lives in uh, Oregon. Yeah. And uh, we, because Charlie and I often record uh, our shows from different you know, countries, so yeah. we just record them. Like we both just have a separate. I mean, this is how easy it is. Two dumb guys like us who. Yeah know how to yes. do nothing yeah right we live in a world where us dumb guys can plug in one of these at each end get on skype do the podcast and then we just send it to a guy who's not doesn't even live in the same country as us yeah and he just puts it together and then it's out that's how you do a podcast that's, exactly yeah and then my wife said my wife's starting one my wife wants because i have the whole man cave set up she goes, I, I think I'd really enjoy this. She, we redid our house. Okay. She said, I have a purpose in life redoing this house. We got done redoing the house. She goes, I have no purpose. I said, I said, start a podcast. She's like, with who? I go, with your friends. Just Who gives a fuck? Just do it. And she goes, what if it stinks? I go, it will. It will for yeah. maybe forever. Maybe. Yeah, or maybe it'll get good and maybe you'll really enjoy it. Maybe you'll stumble onto something that you love. But also the other thing is, and this is, uh, I mean, this is only from a consumer's perspective now yeah. because I'm like you, I'm a massive podcast fan yes and 
my favorite, like my, the way that I feel about certain podcasts is not based on them being the biggest podcasts in the world. Like the, my favorite podcasts aren't the Game of Thrones of podcasts or no. the whatever. They're these things that I like. I mean, there's this podcast I mentioned all the time on this podcast, but it's one of the original podcasts. They've been around forever. They're amazing. It's called Oh Yeah Dude. America through the eyes of two American Americans, just like it's brilliant, and yeah. they've been doing it forever. They've done five hundred episodes of it, and it would never ever be you know in the top ten fucking podcasts on the podcast charts yeah. or anything. But if they stop, well, I'm trying to grab oh, my yeah. phone to look at my podcast no, no. now. Here, yeah. keep going, keep going. But yeah, so um, it's one of those things where you're just like, they have, regardless of, you know if they're ever going to be, you know, seen on a list with, you know, the biggest podcast in the world or whatever, you know, the president isn't going to do their podcast. But to me, it's been my favorite podcast for a decade. Yeah. Like it, they have brought joy to my life consistently in a way that like they amuse me, you know, more than anybody else that I listen to. Like it's literally the one podcast that like, you know, I loved Kevin Smith's Smodcast when I first started, yeah. but then I just eventually kind of like stopped listening. And, you know, this is the one that I have stuck with. And, for, I hope that they know that there are people out there and there'd be people who feel that about yeah. your podcast and I know there's people who feel it about our podcast where for them, it's brought them some specific joy that you're like, oh, I got to make something like at my kitchen table, yeah. right? I plugged in some things and somebody thinks it's the best thing. It's their favorite thing. It's, it's what's getting them through. Like there was a guy who goes, uh, I did a five-hour podcast with these two guys, Danish and O'Neill. And all we did was just get fucking obliterated. Uh -huh. And uh, this guy, I was in uh, Cleveland, and this guy comes up, and he's like, dude, more five-hour podcasts. I go, dude, it takes a lot out of me. And he's like, no, I drive a forklift, and you have no idea. Right. I started you in the morning, and then I knew, oh, I get to go to lunch and come back and listen to Bert. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, I find that, like, one of my favorite podcasts I've ever listened to in my entire life. Do you know who Brody Stevens is? Yeah, okay. of course. Brody, this, is, this is probably six years ago. When so uh, for the people at home, though, we probably should oh, yeah. just do we need context for the sake of the story? Because yes, Brody's yes, a, a yes, certain yes. like he's a very distinct individual. Like, <laughs> he's a very he's he I've known Brody for 18 years. Um, Brody was good friends with Zach Galifianakis. He did a show in the States called Enjoy It, where it kind of chronicled him having a nervous breakdown. Brody had a nervous breakdown. Brody's stand up is very unique. It's very self-referential and it's very um it's he gets takes pride in stuff no one would take pride in like his area code he's like 818 till i die and that's like no one wants to claim 818 right. like but, <laughs> oh, but brody i'm from tarzana i know the bus routes it's really like a really bizarre style of stand-up right. and, and by the way sometimes some people could argue no punchlines but very funny well it's one of those things too where He's very much in the the vein of a comedian that if people on the night get onto what he's doing, yeah, it's going to be a really special experience. Oh. He's also the sort of comedian by the nature of what he does that if people don't get on board, it can you know well for a comedian yeah. to watch it, it can still be very very fascinating. If, I've, I've never for, not enjoyed a Brody <laughs> right. Stevens set. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I was a pitcher in college. I have back hair. Like, right. it's just, uh, still call my mom mommy. Like, he's just a really interesting guy. So he did a podcast. He did a podcast with when Brian Redman ran Death Squad. Death uh -huh. Squad was the label that Rogan was under. And then Ro Brian set up Death Squad and started making podcasts for everybody. He did one with, with Brody and his roommate, Johnny Spanish. <laughs> and I swear to God, Will, they don't even, it's a two-hour podcast. 
and they don't even get the intro out. Right. Because it's all about the intro that Brody believes Johnny Spanish is fucking up. And it is two hours of them trying to figure out the intro to a podcast. And I want a treadmill howling, laughing, going like, because it is, it is, once again, it's not Brody on stage. It's a side of Brody you don't often get to see. Right. And it was so authentic that you were like, and he's like, and, and, and one of my favorite things on podcasts is when people get off mic like that and you, you can hear Brody going, God damn it, Johnny Spanish, you can't mess up the in-. And It is just genius. Like, oh, those, like, I always like the, uh, the nuances. Like, I like the one thing I do with my podcast is I just start recording and then someone's like, are we, have we started? And I go, oh yeah, that's because some radio guy did it to me one time on an interview. I call, I did call in and he just started talking to me and we were just bullshitting. And I was like, hey, are we going to start it? And he goes, I've already started, man. And I was like, oh, this is a really good conversation, too. Like, we were just talking. I wasn't like Bert on radio. Right. But, yeah, I could talk about podcasting all day long. Well, I mean, that's okay. That, that's good. I yeah. mean, it's I, I like the other thing I like about, um, you know, obviously as this world grows and it's expanding now, we're in a point of transition, I think, in the podcast industry where – um, you know, major players are recognizing that podcasting is a thing now and it's yeah. a legitimate thing. Advertisers are coming to the art form. Like you said, big celebrities are going, oh, I'm going to have my own podcast now, yeah. right? So it's not like what it was, you know, a while ago where, you know, the few of us who had podcasts, like every, yeah, the joke is now every comedian has a podcast, yeah. you know, there was a period of time where it wasn't like that. Yeah. So I don't mind the idea that occasionally we stop down and we actually have a chat about the thing that we're doing. Well, because I think the people listening to it love podcasts also. And they don't like, like, I, I can't listen to someone's podcast. Like Katie Couric has a podcast. She's from the Today Show here. And it was so bad that I, th- I said, whatever thought, whatever made you think you could be a broadcaster right. ever, why are you even <laughs> in television? Like, it was so monumentally bad that I was like, I literally was like, I might hate listen to this and just comment. Um, but yeah, I like the new, my favorite murders. I like the that one. That's a really good podcast. Yeah, we're I, gonna be in Australia. Yeah, uh, oh, so we should actually well, let's mention that because oh, yeah. you know we'll plug it as we go along. But you are touring Australia. You're coming out for Just for Laughs, yeah. uh, for and we're doing a couple of live tofop shows there at Just for Laughs as well. Big uh, comedy festival they have obviously uh, it, in Sydney around the Sydney Opera House, yeah. and um, it's a week of uh, fantastic shows. Uh, Joel McHale, who was a guest uh, guest Charlie on the show uh, last week, um, he's doing some shows down there as well. Uh, but you're touring all around Australia, and yeah, because they offer me the 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 festival and yeah. i was like oh dude if i'm going down there i'm hitting like one of the things i love about this country and i'm sure you can uh probably back me up is like you go to a place like vermont or omaha or des moines and people always go hey man thanks for coming to des moines right like they're like why did you come to des moines you're like because you're here like this is what i do and i need people to watch it and you happen to live here and you want to watch it that's how we connect it Right. Like it's you're no different to me than San Francisco. Like there's no difference between San Francisco and Des Moines. Your money is exactly the same as theirs. Um and so when I got the offer, I was like I was like I'm going to Perth and they're like everyone's like no you're not. You have no idea. It's in the middle of nowhere. Don't go to Perth. I go, "No, I'm going to Perth." I go, "I want to go everywhere. I want to go to Adelaide. I want to go to Brisbane." And they're they're and everyone was like, "No, you're over scheduling yourself. Just do Sydney and Melbourne. That's all you got to do." Or Melbourne, whatever you however you say it. And yeah, I mean, like you, you weren't too bad the first yeah. time. You, you were right the second time. Yeah, but, but, you, but you weren't like it wasn't offensive the first time. Yeah. So so I booked uh, I booked I didn't book Adelaide oddly enough, but I booked Sydney, Brisbane, uh, 
Perth and Melbourne and uh, and Perth's the one that sold the quickest and everyone I've got more tweets from people going dude thank you for coming to Perth and I was like of course it's just as far as Australia is from here for to, for me it just happens to be another flight so uh, I always used to say to people like you know when I, I started nationally touring you know early on in my career in Australia um, you know, you do press in person, they would be a bit like, you know, even the press would be like, you know, oh, you know, good on you for coming. And, you know, what's, yeah. and, and I would always say to them, I say, you know, this is a pleasure yeah. because people give a shit that you came here. So yeah. the shows are always great because the audience come along with a bit of like, you know, thank you very much for being oh, here. Like, Whereas like yeah. you do a show in Sydney or Melbourne, like, yeah. Of yeah, course yeah. he's coming here. Yeah, of course he's coming here. This is where you come. I'm yeah. going to go and see Bruce Springsteen tomorrow. This isn't even the highlight of my week. In fact, it might not even be the highlight of my night. I'm going to go and eat in some restaurant by some chef who's in the top 10 chefs in the world. It might not even be the highlight of my night. I mean, this is Sydney for Christ's sake. Right, exactly. I've been to Australia one other time. I had a fucking blast. I love that place. What, what was the previous time that you came down? Uh, I went down to do a TV show. And uh, I was turning 40. What was, was the TV show that it you was went called down? Trip Flip. We take two people on adventures of a lifetime. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so was there was one of their adventures to go to Australia on uh, two, an adventure? Two couples. Are so, they both? Yeah. Well, I met. I we did two episodes. We did okay. one in uh, in Cairns. Okay. Yeah. And then one in uh, and one in Sydney. Okay. And so. We took a couple. This was the flaw of the show also is that I didn't technically know anything about these people. I just looked at them for a second, made a snap judgment and said, think you're going to be amazing. And uh, we wrongfully picked a guy with uh, severe rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, and no. He couldn't do anything. <laughs> he couldn't, like, we did. We well, did this. That'd be like picking me. Like, I can't even sit down to do this yeah. podcast. Uh, he couldn't kneel. He couldn't squat. Like, right. he couldn't even bend. So, we did this thing with this Aborigine guy, and he wanted us to sit down yeah. and sit in a circle. And, Have a respectful yeah. ceremony of yeah. some kind, I and imagine. The guy just kind of squatted like a coach listening to his oh. catcher. Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible. And then we took him like mountaineering and, and he couldn't do any of the thing. And, and then the cold locked his joints up. So he froze. And so we had to lower his body off a waterfall and like he's drowning because the waterfall's on him. And then we just dropped it. It was horrible. Dude, we did so many bad things like that because you didn't know anything. You just go, right. you guys look great. Let's go. And then they'd be like, awesome. And then you'd, like we took a met a uh, interracial couple. So when you said you just like pick them and say let's go, yeah, where from where? Where are just you? Just on the street. So you, literally, this was a TV show yeah. where you would just go up and find two people on the street. I go, hey, are you guys adventurous? And they're like, yeah. I go, uh, you know, you, I, as you got more into the show, you learned you had to be more specific with questions. Right. Yeah, like I'd ha I'd have to say to black people, can you swim? Right, because it, it's just it's stereotypes there for a reason, but. Uh, in America, but uh, not as much anymore, but there was a period where black people didn't swim a lot and it still runs through the community where you will find black people who don't know how to swim. Right. And the truth of like, the, and this is what I like about podcasts, just yeah. this moment, right? Because if we were on stand up or we oh. could just, we could just brush over this moment right yeah. now. But that was just you kind of trying to dance around saying something in a way that you were like, you started saying something and then you were like, is this kind of an offensive thing yeah. to say? And then you were like, well, no, probably in your head, the reason is that black people couldn't swim. It wasn't like black people weren't trying to swim. It was because the swimming programs were not in schools where black, no, black no. communities and things like that. It so was because of segregation, right. they weren't allowed in, allowed pools, in the public pools. And right? they weren't allowed on public beaches. So and this is the point. Normally when yeah. it's something like that, it's as a result of 
a, yeah. a group in society not being given access to that yes. thing. And so, so the yeah. fact that you have to ask isn't you being racist. It's, it's not, just you being careful about not drowning a black person, which I think, because, I mean, in today's America, probably you wouldn't get in trouble for. Well, but what happens is, uh, this happened to us. We took a couple to Cabo. Uh, we go out to go swimming with whale sharks. Uh, black guy's too proud to tell us he has never learned how to swim. Right. And he jumps in the water and starts drowning. Yeah. And we're like, mother. And then. I mean, by the way, good on him for thinking that he could pick it up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? With like, slippers on. He just on, on. on the spot. He, well, he's in a wetsuit and he thought wetsuits were we'll like life preservers. Yeah, it'll uh, that would, make float, you buoyant. And he just sunk. This will help. My sound putting guy this had heavy to drop thing his on. gear and jump in after oh, him. No. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. You, had to, you learned you had to ask questions like that because yeah. you had to be. A little bit, um, uh, I guess racist is the right word, but what a racist would do is uh, assume things about people because if you didn't, you could. Like, we took an interracial couple to South Carolina. I didn't well, even, no, I think it'd be racist if you like went up to an Asian couple and said, can you guys drive? That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, racist. Yeah, yeah. Right, you know right, I mean? right, right, right. <laughs> like, I think what you're doing is just acknowledging a black, a, a, yeah. a blind spot. Yeah, like, exactly, like, exactly. It would be racist. Right. <laughs> That's, that would be. Oh, we took an interracial couple that I met in Alaska, and I'd oddly enough, I'd played in a professional snowball tournament with this one guy. He was a baseball player. Right. His name was Jamal. And I met them, and they were cool, and I knew him before, and I go, dude, I got to take you on a trip. And he's like, where? Anywhere. I said, where do you want to go? And he was like, I've never been to the lower 48. I was like, are you shitting me? He goes, I've never been to the South. I go, dude, I got a trip in South Carolina. Let's do it. He's like, great. And he was like, because he, he didn't feel like he had never connected with his African-American roots because he lived in Alaska his whole life. Right. And so I was like, dude, we're going to South Carolina. Did not did not put two and two together with the, the trip we had planned was more <laughs> based around a white couple probably right. because the first thing we did was a civil war reenactment and we pull up and I'm like, Oh shit, Jamal. Yeah. And he's like, what team are we on? I go, we're on the wrong team, brother. <laughs> and, and it was uncomfortable. We're and then, and then on and the and wrong <laughs> team, brother. And, <laughs> and then, and then we get out, we get out, we get in our Subaru and he's like, uh, He's like, well, it couldn't get any worse. And I, I go, oh, it gets worse, buddy. Yeah, narrator go, voice. It I, was about to get worse. I go, we're spending the night at, in old slave quarters that were haunted and trying to see if we can get a haunting to happen. Uh-huh. And the reason they were haunted is that the the man of the house, the owner of the house, uh-huh. killed the slaves for uh-huh. sleeping with his white daughters. And now we're putting an interracial couple in a already haunted house for the reasons it was... But but that guy Jamal was cool as shit. I mean, <laughs> he better be. We had shit like that all the fucking time. I mean, it's almost as if you don't plan and research things; they can go terribly, terribly wrong. Dude, and then stuff would creep up like you didn't even know. Like we had a Jewish director. I would. I, I mean, never, kidnappers I would, plan better than you guys did. You have. Oh my god! I want to steal that line. <laughs> What's well, yours? Like, <laughs> I have no other reason to use that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, we had a Jewish director. I never think about this. I would never, this would never cross my mind. A Jewish director, I find this great couple, uh, white chick and a Palestinian dude. The Palestinian dude's parents, I guess, got kicked out of Palestine. Or, so he has real hatred towards Jews. And then him and the director start fucking really butting heads on everything. And I'm like, I'm oblivious. I would never think that's like someone going like, "Oh, I'm Protestant. I'm Catholic." I never that would never occur to me that there would be a problem. But man, we're in the middle of Rio and they're about to fist fight, and it just goes racial instantly. And you're just like, 
holy shit, like where did this come from? And then the couple breaks up and then I'm sitting in their hotel with them trying to get them to get back together so we can finish the episode. It was it was an, a really interesting show to well, say the least. Yeah, that I mean it is one of those things where you realize that the world is always at different stages as well. Yeah. Because the Protestant Catholic thing is a good example. 50 years ago, that still was an issue in a whole bunch of places, yeah. right? Or whatever. I'm probably, that's maybe a little longer. But the point being, it's and black and white or whatever. Yeah. This is recent history. And in these places where these people are still at war with each other and yeah. this history of dispossession or whatever, you know, feels direct. You know, it's my family that were moved in this situation. Yeah. Then that hatred can still bubble over right on the top of like, oh. I mean, it's I, the world. Okay. How do you feel about the world? Like, let's just jump into it because okay. I, because it feels to me this last week, I mean, quite, like in the week that we're recording this, this will go out this week anyway. But um, I mean, it started with Donald Trump, you know, essentially almost getting into a, you know, worldwide nuclear war on Twitter with North Korea. Um, and then obviously, you know, here this week, um, you know, there was the, the Charlottesville, you know, white supremacy, Nazi, Tiki Torch marches. Um, you know, I was in, I was in uh, Vermont, you know, I was in Burlington, Vermont, you know, amongst the, the nice white people, you know, <laughs> like good ones, the sort of people who are going to you know, light a torch or about to juggle in a park <laughs> during a farmer's market that, you know. And so you're watching the news and it feels very foreign to the, you know, the world that you're walking around in, you yeah. know, at, at that time. But how, how do you as an American, a person who like, you know, because I'm, I'm an immigrant here and I, I want America to go well, obviously, yeah. but, but it's not my fight. You know, it's, it's America's fight about their identity and what they want America to be that is happening. And I, I can only kind of be a, an observer, a traveler through that. You know, I, I like to talk to you about, you know, just what, how do you feel about America right now? Is it's, it like, is it negative? Is it positive? How do you feel? Well, I, mean, I, I guess you have just, you have to start with the fact that I'm a white 44 year old man. I mean, when the, when the, uh, when the, ele when the election happened, I was with Doug Stanhope, Bill Burr and Rogan. We were doing a live podcast at the store and we just got off stage. We're like, fuck, man, what the fuck? And I, th I don't remember which one. I'm not going to give, I'm not going to say any of them said it, but one of the four of us said, gentlemen, this doesn't really affect us in the slightest. This might be the right. best thing that ever happened for us because we're white men with money. That's who he's trying to take care of. So I always set preface, whatever I say about America is I am white. So as a black dude, I would have a very different opinion, but I, 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 think what is happening is that um, people have polarized so much that no one's willing to listen to the other side to find a middle ground. Like it's either black lives matters or white nationalists. Like what about guys like me who are like, I think all of you are fucking crazy for pro I would, who wants to spend their Saturday protesting? I would never protest. But once again, my life's not super affected. So like, I, so like I might, I might be the problem. Like, in all honesty, I might, I might be the problem. Well, there's an argument to be made, and I think it's it's not the first argument that needs to be fixed, but it's certainly one of the arguments that needs to be fixed, which is I, I'm exactly the same as you. I'm a yeah. white, rich man. Yeah. Like, yeah, literally, it, it's, it's not bad for me. You know, yeah. so even if you're not a white supremacist, you benefit from a system that is set up for white supremacy, right? And, 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 and the truth is, like, I don't tweet anything out about the white supremacies, white supremacists, only because I go because I don't. That's not me. I don't tweet out politics. But then I go. Maybe I'm the one that should be tweeting out like, "Hey guys, this is super unhealthy." 
Like, but there's a lot of fucking race. I'm part of me goes, I'm glad they're at least saying it out loud. Cause I've been in the rooms when they've been saying it quietly. Right. And I've been, I've been around racist people a lot in my life. A yeah. lot. Well, I mean, I think this is also a message that comes out of this is if, if anyone thinks this is actually like, Oh my God, racism's back. Yeah. No, no racism never went away. guys. Never went away. Like, racism is one of those things like, like a pair of blue jeans. Yeah. You just, just keep them in your cupboard, mate. Blue jeans are always fine. You, they, they, there'll never be a time. There'll be sometimes they, they need to be a bit skinnier or a little yeah. bit, bit baggier or whatever. The whole in them will become fashionable again in yeah. a couple of years. <laughs> Racism's here to stay, guys. It's fine. It's crazy because I grew up in the South. And so, like, I mean, racism was very tangible when I was a kid. Like, right. I remember... I've I was, I've, sa- I've said this on stage. It does, it does not need to get a laugh. It never should get a laugh. But I say this just to remind people how real racism is the first time i ever heard the n-word um i was six years old and these black kids had come into the, our neighborhood and stole my football and then they left and then they came back into our neighborhood a week later and challenged us a bunch of white kids i'm not they're all the kids were older than me i was the youngest they challenged us to a game of football with my football and two brothers darren and Derek, i think were their names um said that's his football you need to give it back and they're like no and then they started fighting someone went and got darren and derek's dad darren and derek's dad came next to me and said what's this about and they go i said they stole my football and they're fighting to get it back he put his hand on my shoulder and he said start chanting boy uh fight fight and we're in a white white don't win we all jump in fight fight and we're in a white i'm six years old going there's a lot on my fucking plate i go home i tell my dad what happened my dad comes down and he's oh like, boy. don't you ever fucking touch my kid. Don't ever talk to my kid. And he's like, my dad's first of all, like, buddy, I'll just get you a new fucking football. Like, don't worry right. about it. And then we moved out of that neighborhood within a month because it was a really redneck neighborhood. But that, like, just, so that was when I was six. So things didn't change globally by the time I was out of high school. Right. And then when I got to college, you're, you're, I went to a school. Then the Rodney King shit starts going down. Man, I... I said to someone, I was saying to Miss Pat is a, a black woman who does my podcast every now and then. Very funny. She said, when when did you stop seeing race? Because as two, as a black person, you're always going to see race. And as a white person growing up in the South, you see race too. I said, when I moved to New York, it's when I stopped seeing race for the very first time in my life. Like, I didn't see it in high school. I didn't see it when I was a child, really. But, like, I definitely witnessed it. And then when I got to New York, I remember going, like, I remember being with Dimitri Martin going, like, Wow, so like everyone gets on this one bus. Like everyone gets on a subway. Like I'd never ridden a bus in Florida. You'd never get on public transportation in Florida. And so I was like, whoa, like this is crazy. Like you go into a comedy club, you're like, yo, I'm talking to Puerto Ricans right, right. now. Like th- I got two gay guys, a Puerto Rican and a black guy that I'm, we're all interacting. I was like, that did not happen in Florida State. You only talked to white dudes and white chicks, maybe a couple Cubans, you know, like, like it, was just, it was just very globally different. Oh, I mean, like when I first, uh, I mean, saw comedy in New York, I reckon it was like the, the first time I came over to America, you know, like, and I was a young comedian at that point. I was over, you know, I, I might've gone to Just for Laughs and I reckon we took some days in New York and I just went to some comedy clubs and watched comedy. And I was totally stunned by how many of the acts had bits about the various nationalities. And oh, at yeah. the start, I was like, gee, they, they talk about race and <laughs> you know, ethnicity a lot in this country. But what I realized was, because I was making a judgment like, oh, people here are much more 
aware of that. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I just performed to, like, white Australian audiences. And they're performing to this, like, incredibly diverse group of people. So they have to have a sense of what each of those groups are and, you know, what their characteristics are and how to relate to them. Like, I remember remember performing, like, meaning, like, you're talking about people with life experiences that don't connect with your life experiences. So, like, I remember performing in the Boston Comedy Club for a, a group of 10 Puerto Rican guys. And think talking to them about life and girls the way I had experienced it, thinking I could observationally comedy on my way into their life. And they were laughing so hard at what I was talking about, my experiences with girls. And one of them, I go, I go, you know what I mean? And the guy goes, dude, we have no fucking idea what you mean. And he's like, we're just here. He's going to prison tomorrow. We took him out for a good time. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I've never had a. I've never had to take my friends out to pri- for prison. Like I've never been like, guys, it's the night before we go to prison. Let's all go take you out. Like I was like, oh, we have nothing in common. Like we have almost nothing in common. Also, and- <laughs> here's the thing. Again, like, and I'm going to make a judgment that I often make about people who take their bachelor parties to a comedy night. Yeah. There's somewhere else that everybody wants to be. Yeah. Comedy is not the first choice. They got the wrong guy to plan the night before prison party because yeah. <laughs> while you, I think of the things. That you're going to miss in prison. Stand up isn't one of them. I feel <laughs> yeah. like there's some other things you, you'd rather do right now. Better get those laughs in just, just before I go in. It's Yeah, New York was insane. And then I moved out to LA. <clears throat> I always said that uh, the, the difference in the two different places to do stand up, it's working out. Like New York is like working out in the prison yard with a broomstick and cinder blocks. Uh-huh. You're just getting big enough so that you can't get assaulted in the shower. Yeah. Like that's how stand up is there because it is. In your face, it is it is very interactive. And then I came out to LA, and I had this like prison body, like for stand up. I remember getting on stage. I was hosting for Drew Carey, and I was getting on stage, and I was I just came on. I was like, "Where are the Puerto Ricans at?" Like, because I was like, "I need a Puerto Rican so I can start my act. Right. I need a black guy. I need two gay guys. I need a bunch of lesbians that are <laughs> uh, like angry." And I was like, "Oh, I don't have any jokes. I don't have any jokes." And I was like, "Oh, LA is like working out." Where you look like a fitness model. You're not, right. you can't defend yourself, but you look good. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so you, you would see LA comics go to New York and be like, uh, so I was driving down the street the other day and, and you just hear black dudes go, nah, dude, next. <laughs> and he was like, uh, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. And he's like, nah, you're done, dog. It was, it was, and then you go on the road in the, in the middle of our country and you're like, the best road comics are guys who can do New York and LA interchangeably right. and make it authentic, but have material. Like make it interactive, but be sure that you're doing material. Well, the thing, so we were having a little conversation before we started the podcast. And so I'm going to continue a thought we were yeah. talking about then. But we were talking about the idea, you, you, you were asking about me about the idea of the value of telling a story to your own audience, you know, yeah. the audience, you know, who listen to the podcast, who've come out to see you, who allow you to have that like deeper level of understanding and in, in your story, they get it a bit more versus taking that story to, you know, some club where they don't know you at all and making it work there. I always think the, the only mistake that people make is where they, they disrespect their own act. When If they say, yeah. if I'm going to play the South or if I'm going to play blah, 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 I need some jokes about this. Rather yeah. than going, how do I make what it is that I want to say to everybody just work in these different places? Yeah, Louis, so like, yeah Louis C.K. said, the art form is making strangers laugh. That's, he goes, that's the art form. And I, and, I, and, and I guess at the time, he was not as famous as he was. But someone was asking him, why don't you do the UCB? And he goes, because if I go in there, everyone knows me. 
and it's not, I'm not going to have a hard time. I'd rather go work out at a comedy club where there are people who don't know me. And this was, this was probably 13 years ago when he said this. But, and so I was like, I was like, yeah, cause I was doing it the road at the time. I was like, yeah, making strangers laugh. And then you said something that was genius because I would, and, and this is what it really blew my mind. Cause I'm having a hard time with it. Cause I go up at the store, like I'll be at the store tonight and I now granted, I haven't done the store in a while, but like some of my bits, I feel like are almost too nuanced of you have to know who I am, you know, like, and, and I, and I go, does that mean they're not funny? Cause I take them on the road and they murder and I go, okay, I um, and then you were saying, oh, no, it's like Lost. Like, you can't just watch season four, episode eight of Lost and go, this is a great show. I know right. everyone loves it. <laughs> and you're like, and then I was like, yeah, some comics are like Seinfeld. Like, Anthony Jeselnik is, is, like, is like an episode of Friends. Right. You don't need to know the backstory. You right. Can you can just watch one and, episode. Yeah, because news this, radio. News yeah. radio. Right. You can watch news radio and laugh your dick off. But, like, if you see me, I am not parts of my actor news radio by – and I don't, I don't think that I like... But, but I think isn't there an element too, though, to kind of extend that point where maybe what it does make you do a little is just find shorter, sharper, establishing ways to set up who you are or at least the bits of you that they need to know to understand the story on the level that yeah. the other... like. So, for example, it's like... The thing I always talk about is like, say, say I meet you at a party, right? First time we meet, we introduce each other fully. We talk about what jobs we have. We talk about like, do you have a wife? Do, do we have kids? Like, yeah. do you have dogs? Blah, 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 right? But the next time we meet, you don't have to like do all that again. You take off yeah. from where you left off, right? When you're playing to new audiences, like when you're just doing your own stuff to your own audience, you don't have to reintroduce yourself again every night. Yeah. This is who I am. This is what I'm like. They know that. So you can just tell your story. But I think there's a way of quickly introducing yourself to an audience in a way. Like certainly when I'm on the road, the first five minutes, I very clearly talking about a thing about Australia or a thing about like where I grew up or a thing yeah. about blah, blah, blah. Just a few things that you need to know about me. A few jokes in that early bit that define me in like, you know, a way that will be necessary for the way that you're going to need to know that I understand the world for the rest of the show. Like, I do think yeah. there's a quick way of like shorthanding them straight into where they need to be. Yeah. I think, I think on my last special, I did that really well. Like I, I like, but like I, I did a joke about my daughters and I, cause I, I had these great jokes about my daughters that were worked universally, but, um, but I, I needed to explain I, that my youngest daughter is a little different. Not, 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 nothing's wrong with her, but she's just weird. Right. And so the joke was, I have two daughters. Georgia's 12, blonde hair, blue eyes, beautiful, real smart, and I got another one. And so, like, that was the setup. Now when I'm telling, now, like, now when I start a story about my daughters, I go, I go, I'm assuming everyone knows when I say, I love you, we know what's about to happen. But you're right. Sometimes I don't establish, hey, my daughter is weird as fuck. Right. Like, and so... Yeah, I don't know. It's been an interesting hour. I uh, this this hour that I'm doing working on, I I learned a lot doing my last hour, but this one I go. What did you learn? Tell me. Tell me what you learned. I learned from... about pacing. Um, because I I got I kind of had a departure from like jokes. I, I I my last hour I departed from any joke. I tried not to write any joke that anyone else could write. Meaning like I really was like 
bummed when you'd write a joke. Like I remember doing Last Comic Standing and I had a great joke, a really great joke. I was very proud of it. Uh, you know what cops hate? When you touch their faces. Uh, but try this when they come to your, by the way, this is a like textbook, David Tell ripoff, Dane Cook ripoff right, right here. Okay. That's a David Tell setup. Right. And then uh, you know what to do next time they come up to your window and the cop comes and he's like, do you know why I pulled you over? Take your lips, put it to his, uh, take your finger, put it to his lips and go shh and then take off, you know? So it's like, it's not even, and it's not even my voice. I don't even. I, mean, I wrote it, but right. it, but it's not me. Right. I thought it was so original. I get up on there, and every comic that did Last Comic Standing had a joke about getting pulled over by the cops. And I went, so I'm just one of them. Like I'm not. How am I going to make myself stand out? So then, I was doing that for a long time, and then I, then I told the machine story, and I went, and someone said to me, they're like, uh, that, that's. I mean, no one can do that. No one can take that from you. And I was like, oh yeah. I'm just going to take stuff that's very authentically right. me and just do that in my thing. So in the last hour, I had, I went, okay, I got this great story about my daughter putting her finger ass and putting the dog's mouth. I'm going to put that. It was murdering. And I was like, but I'm murdering too much. I need to slow down the pacing with some ethos or pathos. I forget which one's which. So I then slowed it down with another story and then did some other stuff and then slowed it down and then did another stuff. So I was like, oh, okay. It, it can't just be murderous throughout. You've got to tell a story. You've got, for me at least, you've got to tell you got to tell, you got to arc and you got to end big. So I learned about how to slow the audience down to give them a minute to breathe and then, and then, and, but not lose them to keep them engaged. Uh, and I'm not doing that on this hour <laughs> <laughs> right now. I have a really great 30 minutes. That's really great. Right. And then nothing else. Okay. Well, and it was like right. not, nothing else. I have like three other stories, but None of them are connecting with the other. Like, that was the other thing is I was connecting parts of the hour. And so it was all connected. Right. And so now I just have this and then nothing. And, like, like three other good stories that are totally detached. But And, and, but, and here's but, the other thing. I'm well, running. I was going to say, though, like, sometimes in those situations, and I'm only speaking from my own personal experience here, yeah. obviously, because everybody's very different. But often what I will find is, say, say I am working on, like, you know, and, and, and you know, I've got... I've got like I'm working to try to get 60 or 70 together and like you know I've got sort of 40 or 50 that's working and then I've got another 30 or 40 still that like just you're just like I can't get any of this shit to quite you know gel in the way that that other you know bit is often I just think get rid stop trying to make the shit that you can't make work work and just lean in a little harder to the three things that are working yeah sometimes I think you know what, maybe instead of me trying to find a whole new bit, what if I can find another minute or two minutes in that story that's already great that actually not only adds something else to that story, but like gives me another kind of thought or a beat or, you know, something else within the stuff that already has this system around it that works. So if I take a beat, like if I try a minute or two here and it doesn't work, I can just take it back out again. And the story is like, great, you know, but I often think build the stuff that's working and fuck off the stuff that isn't. What I try to do, my my big thing right now is, um, is, uh, uh, it's a lot, I guess it's a lot. Imagine if you could uh, cut and paste marble. So like I, I, I had this joke about this hand job my wife gave me and of how bad it was. Uh My wife watched it in San Francisco and she goes, I really think you're past doing handjob jokes. Right. And I go, I go, yeah, but it's good. She goes, I go, yeah, but I got this great line, uh, a line in there. And she goes, then great. Get rid of the joke and keep that one line and put it somewhere else. Right. And I went, oh, yeah, I guess I could do that. She's like, that's what you always do. And I go, yeah. I, it's not what I always do, but I guess I could try it. And so uh, 
So right now, I right now I I just want to. I I want I, I the thirty minutes is all is all about one thing. So I just need other parts of my personality right. to put to sprinkle in there. Yeah, and so I don't know. And then and then I was like, uh, I said to someone, but that's the great thing about like I mean, also the other great thing about you know comedy and like looking at comedy. You know, the more you do of it, and like you know, I've heard you talk to people on your podcast, and I've heard you talk on other podcasts. So I think this is probably a philosophy that you share, which is. This idea of like, really, at the end of the day, it's just be, it's about being funny. Yeah. Like, it's about finding your way to be funny. Yeah. Like, we look at it like there's some sort of code or formula or whatever, you know, that you yeah. need to have it like this or it needs to work like this. But but it doesn't. Like, yeah. the hand job joke could go two ways. Like, you could literally make two very different decisions on the one thing that's not quite working, right? Say you're doing the hand job bit and you're like, this is not quite great. You can do two things. This is the great thing about comedy. It's like you can exercise it, take the one good line and put it somewhere else. Yeah. That's a totally valid thing to do. Or you can do the other thing of going, right, well, now I'm going to do this bit and then I'm going to do a bit about the conversation I had with my wife about the fact that I was past hand job jokes and like, oh, you know, kind of yeah, turn yeah, it yeah, into yeah, this yeah. whole thing about like not only the bit, but like, you know, then the conversation you have with her about the bit, which tells you something about you know, you and her, like the, the hand job joke probably doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, and then it becomes yeah. this other thing that also is kind of symbolic of you having a conversation about whether you're beyond hand job jokes or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it says something. Like well, the that's thing, the great yeah. thing about comedy is you can go such different ways with, you know, those sort of decisions. One, one of my favorite things that Louis C.K. did ever was that he allowed, he, he put a stamp on comedy and said, hey, it doesn't have to be brilliant. It can just be eat a bag of dicks. Right. And just, if it makes me giggle, I'm going to put it in there. And I was like, oh, that's pretty like, like, because I got a pretty lowbrow sense of humor. Like, right. I, I love, I love, I just like being surprised. At the end of the day, I want to be surprised. I want to be in the room and be surprised at what I hear. Have you ever seen that? Because um, uh, I, I know you mentioned Ricky Gervais earlier. And I, I will say I have a complicated uh, relationship with the work of Ricky Gervais. Like, I yeah. I, I liked all, loved The Office. I loved it. Uh, loved most of Extras. Yeah. Did not care for Derek at all. F what found was Derek? That was the one where he pretended to be a kind of like semi-retarded oh, guy. Yeah, yeah. Did not enjoy that. Felt <laughs> like that was not for me. And <laughs> he's like, I'm not a religious person. Like I'm a person who doesn't believe in God, but like the way that he talks about not believing in God online makes me want to believe in God just to yeah. react to like, you know, it's everything. I, but all that said, regardless of all that, there's this um, moment, uh, there's, there's this series he did with um, Chris Rock and Louis C.K. and uh, Seinfeld. Uh, Seinfeld. And yeah. they're all sitting around talking about comedy. And as a stand-up, because this was at a time where, like, I've done stand-up for longer than Ricky Gervais has, you know? And we, then, I think a lot of people have. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But then he kind of got parachuted into this level of sitting around with, regardless of your taste, three of the greatest comedians of all time yes. right and then suddenly you're looking at like i mean the office was great and you're a great com like entertainer and comedian and yeah. like whatever but you're you should not be sitting at this table you yes. know like and there's and you can tell just from the way that he he has a bit more like open mic ideas about comedy yeah you know he's just a bit more because when you first start you have all these rules and all these things that you think are true and then what you realize eventually is there's no fucking like yeah. i mean it's just getting it done yeah. whatever fucking gets it done and allows you to get it done that's how you do it right yeah. 
and it changes and it changes all the fucking time and the minute you think you've cracked the formula you haven't cracked the formula and you know but there's this moment in that where ricky gets particularly pretentious and then louis tells a story about us the funniest thing he ever saw was this guy like this busker you know down on the docks uh singing uh sitting on the dock of uh the bay but he changed the lyrics to sitting on my cock because i'm gay or whatever and like it's just one of those moments where you're like yes because sometimes that is yeah sometimes that's the funny bit oh the, the you know i got i think i remember um i when i first started stand up uh i remember uh being very finding my voice very quickly mm-hmm. and we did this storytelling room me and this guy dc benny and and ended up ben bailey and dc benny took it over but me and dc benny did a storytelling room and i went in and i told five stories that all made it into my comedy specials in that room and I went I found my voice very quickly but then like an open micer I got in my way so I was uh-huh. like I'm not doing what everyone else is doing uh-huh. I need a dick joke I need a joke about <laughs> yep. dick jokes I need a joke about homeless people I need a joke about taxis I need a joke about subways and so and I was like uh, I, I often believe that um, you know if you go to an open mic night or yeah. like an early like because even there's a bit you know you say like, I found my voice pretty early I think most people arrive at their first gig with their voice yes you know and then you start to fucking put shit in the way oh, of like I mean just over fucking the shit out of it like yeah. over like I overthought my stand up because I what mattered more to me was Patrice or Attell right. saying like hey man that was a good bit I remember David Tell, I had one bit, and David Tell came up and he was like, that's funny. The joke was, uh, um, when I was a kid, I watched a movie called Beat Street about tagging, so I thought that'd be cool, so I went to the gate at the front of my neighborhood, the little sign that had Faircloth States on it, got a can of spray paint, it was like, and then I was like, oh shit, I'm the only Bert in this neighborhood. So then I wrote, sucks cock. And Attell came over to me and was like, that's a great bit. And I was like, okay, I got to write more like that. Right. I got more, you know? Because I got the, but that's, I mean, the nature of probably the history of comedy a lot of the time has been that. I mean, we're all formed by our environments. Yeah. I wish, I I think I probably would have been a much better stand up quicker had I started in like, in a place where I didn't respect the comics, Uh. you know? (laughs) Yeah, like right. if I started in Tampa, <laughs> and I was like, "You guys suck." I'm doing my own thing, but instead, yeah. I started with genius right. people around me. And, and you I were like, wild. "Well, if I want to be a genius, I have to be." The amount of times over the years, like you know, when you sit down to write something, you know, where I sit down and go, "Well, what, what, yeah, you know, what's so and so doing? Should I be doing?" And then you're like, "What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, like why are you? Like, firstly, that's what they do. Yeah. It's not what you do. Yeah. But secondly, why are you comparing? Like, this is not." The fucking Olympics, mate. Yeah. It's, it's like, you're an artist. Like, I mean, the whole point of this is that you get to make what you want to make. Like, and, you know, maybe heaps of people will like it or maybe some people will like it. I've got a whole bunch of different podcasts. And the thing that, like, really, this is such a fucking bizarre thing to say, but it really, for a while, was problematic to me that they all had very diverse numbers of listeners yeah. Like I was like, cause there's a part of you that just wants everyone to love everything you do equally. Yes, right. Yes. But what you've got to kind of come to terms with, and certainly through the podcast process to bring it back to that, this is one of the lessons it's taught me is, you know, my podcast on this does heaps better than my podcast on this, but I don't differentiate between the two about one being the favorite over the other. I do them yeah. because I like doing them all. And sometimes with my stand-up, which should be exactly the same, you're like, oh, no, no, that's what you just... You're just meant to be doing it 
saying whatever you tell whatever story you want to tell say whatever it is that you have to say if this was the last time that anybody was ever going to say to, like see you do what you want to do what is it you would want th- them to be left with yeah and then that way you can go well i'd like them to think i'm a real fun guy so this bit will be really fun i don't want it to all be serious or maybe i'd like to there's a few serious things that i really need to say if this is the last time anyone like and yeah. try to just funnel that into a fucking entertaining show it's an argument for saying that like you look at that and then you go would I have ever had the balls to be Carrot Top? Like, would I ever have had the balls to be like, I don't give a shit what anyone thinks. Right. I'm doing what I want to do, and it's working, and I like it. It's his thing. It's his thing. Like, I mean, that's the... When you get to that point where you be judgmental of people like that, you're like, I don't know. You yeah. just fucking... You know what? And the other thing about being mad at Carrot Top is, Carrot Top is not taking my gigs. Not at all. Like, you know, I can name some people, you know, who are similar to me who you go, okay, well, if I could be, if, I'm, if I was going to, you know, hate someone, I'll be jealous of somebody and yeah. I choose not to. Like, because I often think anyway, to be honest, if Carrot Top gets a whole bunch of gigs, it opens doors for people who are more like Carrot Top. That's the way the industry actually works, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't, no one's ever taken your fucking job, but certainly Carrot Top's not taking anybody's job. I, got, I had someone uh, critical of me the other night uh, not the other night. It was a little while ago at the store because I take my performing my shirt off, and this guy was like, "Are you fucking serious?" And I go, "It's what I do. I'm not like I'm comfortable without my shirt on. Right. Like, why do you care what I wear on stage? Like, what, like it? But but I didn't say that. I actually went. I know I'm such a hack. And but then I was like, no, I'm not a like I I do it. Well, first, like firstly, it. it's not hacky. It's not yeah. like there's a whole. There's no one performs with their shirt off but yeah. me. Yeah, it's not and like Tig, you, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not that you can get like five other acts together to do the no collar comedy tour. <laughs> no collar comedy tour. Yeah, like. Dude, it's it is uh, it is insane. What I what really frustrates me is when you find someone who steals. Because what what that is is. You know, one of the things that me and you have in common and, and Stan Hope and, and Burr and Rogan, and I know I've had this conversation with, with Stan Hope and Rogan, is that there is, there have been and there will be times where we have nothing to say, but we still get on stage and try things that we don't know if they're funny or not. People who steal see that hurdle, get in that foxhole and they panic and they go, I can't leave, man. I'm just going to try his, I'm going to do his stuff. And that's one of the things I, I can't respect people who steal because I go, I go, you don't, you're, you're not allowed to do that. When we go to war, you got to jump out of the foxhole just like I did. You got to get on stage and try something new. It's interesting uh, what you say because uh, before when you were talking about that idea of like telling a story that only you could tell, yeah. because um, in my career, a lot of the stuff that I did, particularly early on, because I had like a TV show that was all about like uh, politics and sort of news, yeah. you know? So it was, um, so a lot of my stuff was about, you know, news items and things that were happening in the world. Yeah. And as we've seen from Twitter now, and people have a better understanding of it, if Donald Trump does something today, you will see like a hundred jokes in a second that oh, are, yeah. are vaguely the same joke. Because yeah. if you're using the same source ingredients, yeah. you'll have that. And early on, I was like, well, this is really problematic because eventually, you know, you've got a few things in your set that people are going to be like, well, that sounds a bit familiar to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Not because it's like a bit or a... So what you, I had to d- decide to do for, for that very reason is going, if I'm going to talk about an issue, it can't be just hey, uh, gay marriage is in the news or, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, for example, in my show, I'll I'll give an example so I've got a better explanation of it. 
I wanted to talk about living in America and what's happened here with the election and those sort of things. But I didn't like if you can't just go, hey, remember that thing that Trump said and tell a joke, because even if I've never seen it, there'll be 300 versions of something on that topic out there in the world. Right. So if you're going to talk about Trump, you have to have a personal, legitimate experience and angle on it that could only be your personal legitimate experience yes. to make sure that you just can't even wade into those waters. Like, right. So, so for example, I tell the story of flying to America, being in the air, literally when he was elected. Like, well, I got on a plane when it was neck and neck and like we were flying to America with a group of people who never imagined that would happen. So I tell that story. And then within that, I'm able to give you a sense of what I think about that and what my perspective is on that. But you've got to kind of find that unique and personal angle that could be well no one else yeah you know the jokes in this no one else could tell because no one else could be like well actually funnily enough i was also flying too you know and but it tells you something about me it's the opening part of my show because i get to explain to you in the thing that i split split half my life between these places here's my perspective you know here's what i'm kind of telling you about myself in relating this personal anecdote but hopefully that is telling you a whole bunch of other things. It's it's funny because you watch a lot of people try to do what Burr does. Like Burr has got such a great biting sense of humor right now. And you watch a lot of young guys try to emulate him. And I'm like, why? You got to find your own, you got to find your own lane. Because he does that so fucking well. You're never going to out Burr Bill Burr. Well, the other thing though, I think that makes Burr work because... I, I, and I've said this many times on the podcast before. He's one of my favorite comedians and I disagree with 90% of what he says. Yes. Um, and so he's always a great example to me of the fact that you in no way have to agree with the performer on stage to enjoy them. Yeah. And the idea that like, you know, somehow if I'm going to have an opinion about something or talk about something that the audience need to agree with me to enjoy it, yeah. like that's not necessary, firstly. Yeah. Secondly, the thing that works about Bill's level of that is that you get a sense that it's just legitimately Bill. I remember yeah. seeing Bill like 15 years ago and he was as mad then about fucking avocado as you know he is about shit now like (laughs) the reason that i can enjoy a lot of the time him talking about ideas and concepts that i personally am confronted by or go that is not how i view the world at all bill is because you know that that's how he views everything yeah also you know that he's not like that off stage as a comedian like you know how generous and kind of lovely he is actually as a human being but but on stage even if you don't know that it's the fact that it's all that and it's genuinely, legitimately Bill yeah. that works. If you then just go and copy that, it's like the people who saw Bill Hicks and just decided to write jokes about, you know, aliens and whatever. Like, and yeah. we all, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I was also a young comedian 22 years ago, guys. Oh, so don't, you know. Dude, I, it's, the, it's funny because Patrice was, Burr tackles a subject that he thinks you don't agree with. Patrice used to bring up subjects no one agreed with right no like he would be i remember him going one time he's like how old do you think it what's the age the perfect age to fuck a kid and you were just like and no one was like and he was like i mean you know i mean god says 13 but like and you're just sitting there going like what the i mean his elephant in the room is the best special i've ever seen ever mind my favorite special i've ever seen um well, he's another great example of somebody who, um, you know, who, again, who's, who's, you know, ideas and perspectives, you know, I would like, well, oh. I mean, but you would always be confronted by, but I mean, he was just dead set funny as well. Dude, he, 
You know, it's so funny is that like, and I think anyone who knew Patrice would say the same, is that how many people like him versus how many of those people Patrice would have liked. Right. He did not like anybody. I mean, we saw a comedian, you know a comedian named Ed Byrne? Yeah, Irish the, the Irish comedian, yeah, of course. We were friends with yeah. Ed, but me, I, I went to go see Ed in a fucking probably 1600 seater with Patrice, and we sat there, and he just shit on his act the whole time. <laughs> and it just... That shit ain't funny. That shit ain't funny. What the fuck are these people laughing at, Bert? What are we doing here? What are we doing? Just shit on his act. And then Ed loved Patrice and wanted right. to like, we so excited that Patrice came to see his show. And Ed's like, oh, thanks for coming. And she's like, man, I wish I could have gotten out of it. But like, he just did not like anybody. It was, he was the best, man. That was, I, I'm, I genuinely miss him. I didn't go to his funeral because I heard Patrice in my head going, you really gonna pay to fly out to see me? You know I wouldn't pay to see you die. <laughs> I was like, you gotta respect the relationship you have with the man, even in death. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're just like, this is what he would have wanted. Yeah, I would love to have. I would love if he had still been alive for this uh, Trump stuff. Well, so this is interesting to me because it's. I think there's a real clamoring for you know voices. Like, this is a moment where you'd love to see Chris Rock get back to the best of Chris Rock, or we feel like there's a clamoring in the community for uh, for Dave Chappelle. I think there's unrealistic pressure sometimes. That's unre- on, you're right. You know, that like, is the most brilliant statement. It is unrealistic pressure because it, I don't think I don't think that's Chappelle's lane. Right. Like, I don't think, as much as I think people want him to be a social commentator, Dave, at his heart, I think, was just a silly guy that liked giggling and getting high right. and playing video games and listening to music. And now everyone's like, you need to be the voice of the black people. And Chris Rock had that. But, you know, I think people forget Chris doesn't technically write all his material. Right. So, like, his first hour was, I mean, that we all loved was, like, Nick DiPaolo, Rich Voss, Dave, uh, Louis C.K. I mean, it was all his best friends yeah. helping him craft that hour. So, you know, unlike Bill, who writes all his own stuff by himself, Chris doesn't. So, I don't know. I have a hard time compartmentalizing my love for that comic versus, like, Louis C.K. writes everything himself. Every word that, I, every word that comes out of my mouth what came from my brain. Um, you know, Dave is the same way. I remember running into Dave at, uh, in Dayton. He came into the office when I was getting paid. He just walked in. I was like, it was like seeing a great white shark in the wild. You're like, oh fuck, I forgot you lived in Ohio. And he was like, I was like, how's everything going? He's like, I don't have any material. And you, as opposed to someone's like, everything's great. I got my team of writers watching my set, and they're gonna help me figure out this hour. Who the fuck? Like, so Chris Rock's not gonna not gonna be that voice. I mean, I'm being a dick, but no, 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 no. Yeah. But I, mean, but or unless he decided that he wanted to be in and hired a whole bunch of people yeah. to, to to do that for that reason, like. It, it. But my point of name checking both of those people is, I think you're asking people again, like you said, Chappelle, who you know, I think it's been foisted upon him. Yeah. And Rock, who it's not, you know, that there was a time where he was that, but he's not really that anymore. You know, he's well, talking about. He's more, got that special coming out. Yeah, it, it maybe may he's talking about. Well, he just did Australia, and apparently a lot of it's about his divorce and stuff oh, like that yeah, more yeah. than uh, you know other stuff. So. It's uh, funny. It's funny. Do you think? Do you think when you establish yourself as a social commentator, like Chris Rock's "Black People versus N Words" is one of the best bits right. ever. Um, but like, do you think then people see was that and don't want to know? Oh yeah, I'm also a man who wants to fuck 
uh, Solange or whatever. Well, okay. Again, I didn't see the show, and it, look, Chris Rock's one of the you know the most successful comedians of all time. So I'm essentially breaking down what I think the problems of his show were based on hearsay from my friends who saw the show. But yeah. here's my theory. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> My theory is that you could do a fucking brilliant thing about the fact that you treated on your wife with Solange and you know the mistakes you made and yeah. what it was like to be this kid who suddenly was like this massive star and the fact that you you were the one you were the one who fucked it up you know yeah. you were the one who got it wrong and you were the one who cheated and all those sort of things and if Louis wanted to do that or Bill wanted to do that or a bunch of other people wanted to do that I would fucking line up around the block and go great I'm going to yeah. go and see that show that'll be fucking amazing but what I feel like he's not doing is that there's a lot about how much money she got, you know, that she got, she got 51%, you know, like that sort of like yeah. idea of going, I don't know if that's what I want to hear. I don't want to yeah. hear a guy who like, cause it, here's the thing. 49% of Chris Rock's money is still more money than anybody else in that audience is ever going to earn in their life. Yeah. So the idea that that in somehow is relatable, like I guess the idea of like, you know, somebody getting half in the divorce is relatable to people. Yeah. But the idea that you're on stage kind of complaining about that fact that she took 51%, you're like, yeah, you got 49% of Chris Rock money. You just sold two specials at Netflix for $50 million. Yeah. Tell us how you were wrong. Tell me something about you. Yeah. Give me something about how you <laughs> fucked this up rather than just, you know, dropping a hint that you fucked someone in Destiny's Child. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like there could be great material in there. Like, but I, I think his men and women stuff has never been my favorite stuff of his anyway. Yeah. I, I liked his other stuff more. But the, the reason that all this happened was that you said Patrice, it'd be great to hear what he said. And I think. That's what it would have been great times for. It would have been a great times for a new voice. Like it might have been one of those times where someone like a Patrice, who's so respected within the community, but, and of course, you know, I mean, obviously people knew him from the television and all those sort of things, but a voice like that in these times, you could imagine he would, wouldn't have got softer. He would have got harder. You know, that's the, the yeah. thing that, and you know, the times would have been suited for him, you know, in, mm. you know. Do you ever hear his joke about Michael J. Fox? Uh, I can't remember. He goes, uh, this is right when Michael J. Fox uh, comes out with MS yeah, or whatever yeah. he's got. Lou Gehrig's Luke, disease, doesn't No, 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 not Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> <laughs> no, they changed it to Michael J. Fox disease, wouldn't they? Because he's like, you know what? We're, he's we're so much bigger. It. He's got what whatever. What does he have? He's got, I think he's got, uh, I don't know. No, I, no, I'm going to it. Anyway, he's got whatever Muhammad Ali has. Parkinson's? Parkinson's, yeah, Parkinson's, yeah, yeah. Parkinson's, uh, yeah. And okay. he comes out and he goes... Uh, this is the day Michael J. comes out as having Parkinson's disease. And he goes, man, I saw Michael J. Fox got Parkinson's. He came out on the TV. He's like, yo, we need to raise awareness. We need to raise money. That's just some disingenuous shit. He goes, I would love to be a reporter in that room. We go, hey, Michael, how, what about AIDS and cancer? Aren't those horrible diseases? And he goes, I'd respect the man if he was like, yeah, the problem with AIDS and cancer is I don't got that shit. <laughs> and then he goes, and then this motherfucker's got the nerve to try to outshake the champ. He's heading next to Muhammad Ali going, I got it worse than he does. Are you kidding? I'll shake the champ. By the way, this is the day Michael J. Cobb right. I mean, way too soon. Yeah. The, the most beloved star in America has way announced that soon. he has like, a, heroically announced yeah. that not only does he have this disease, but he's going to become a champion for it. Yeah, and, and Patrice <laughs> is shitting on it so yeah. hard. Oh, he was, man, he, he would be a great voice. But one, I think you're right. I think what we do is we put this... We put this responsibility on guys like Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle to be something that, quite honestly, they're probably 
never wanted to be. Right. Like I, Dave Chappelle, I don't think ever wanted. To, I mean, I'm sure he wanted to be famous, but I, I'm sure like there was no a version of what he is today when he started. He couldn't be like, I want to be something no, that no one's ever seen before. A mythical creature that fucking shows up and people lose their minds. He might be the most famous comic ever. Right. He, and yeah, well, at this thing, like, you know, but that's the thing, right? Like, you know, you couldn't plan out. Like, people go, I want a Chappelle career. And go, okay, so what? You're going to get a real hot TV show. You're going to walk away from like millions. Yeah. You're going to go do shit that everyone the would say would yeah. destroy you're your do career. Three and a half hour shows. Yeah. Uh, it, it, Disappear like, it, start in at Ohio. Four o'clock in the morning. Fuck. Like that's when it, that's where it goes, you know. One, I have a theory that I, I would love to hear your insights on because part of me goes, you can't you can't replicate what happened with Chappelle. But then I, I watched Larry the Cable Guy one night, uh-huh. and um, and it really changed the way I looked at stand up. And it was like, don't overthink it. Like just like we were when we were young comics, don't overthink it. I watched Larry, and he has the sleeveless shirt, and he, he one of his jokes is, I don't know about you, but I think this global warming stuff's horse crap. He goes, I think the Lord picks the temperatures. And the place went fucking nuts. And I went, dumb it down. Like, don't overthink. Don't overthink it. Don't, like, just be what they want you to be. Like, and then I, I, I tried it one night. I go, I don't know about you guys, but I like getting drunk by myself. And they go fucking nuts. And I'm like, right. I could do this all night. Yeah. Just, hey, guys, who wants another drink? Ah, shirts off. Ah. Like, and then I think sometimes, and I, don't, I think that's what's beautiful about Chappelle is that he doesn't overthink it. He just does exactly what his brain tells him to do, and he does it. And then you look at guys that you go, oh, they're definitely overthinking it. Right. Like, oh, you're, you're it's a, what is it called? Paralysis by overanalysis? Yeah. Um, that, like, you look at some guy's career and you're like, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have thought about it at all. Well, the, the problem is, though, like, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I'm from a dairy farm. So my parents are dairy farmers. Really? Uh, their parents were farmers and my brother is a farmer. My dad lives on the road that he was born on. He's never moved anywhere off that road. 250 people in the entire area I grew up for the first 17 years of my life. So, really? Yeah. So I'd never met anybody in show business. I've met, never met a stand-up comedian. I'd heard a couple of Billy Connolly albums and a couple of Bill Cosby albums. And, uh, you know, when I first started doing stand-up, I'd seen a few galas on the TV and those sort of things. But really, I didn't have much of a sense even of what stand-up is. So along the way, you have to just... Like, I mean, I always say to people, like, when I started, it was still running away to join the circus. Because yeah. we're kind of a generation, we're, you know, maybe half a generation behind where it is now. But like, no one... There was no frame of reference for what a comic was. When I told my dad I wanted to be a comedian, he was like, buddy, I don't know what to tell you. Like, he was like, I, what do you do? I go, I think I'm going to move to New York. I mean, there was no internet to show you what a comic was. Right. You, know, there was, that, you couldn't listen to a bunch of podcasts and go, oh, that, like, you know, that the idea of like dying or, you know, getting something wrong or having, you know, a thought that somebody else has had and how you deal with that or like all these sort of things that we're talking about. You can now just sit and listen to a podcast and go, ah, oh, oh, I, yeah. oh everybody. Everybody's had that exact same thing happen to them. Yeah. It turns out that I'm not the worst person ever in comedy. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Like there was no frame of reference. I didn't know. Like I remember. Pe- I remember going. I was from the generation where I went to a comedy club once, and you had to go ask the comic, "Hey, how do I become a comedian?" Right. As opposed to now, it's everyone knows. Oh, I just go to an open mic. I didn't know there was an open mic. I didn't know anything about that. You know, what's so funny. All I could think about is when you said that, that you started listening to Bill Cosby albums. I wonder, because a comic yeah. always writes about what is authentically going in their li- on in their life. I wonder if you could peruse his album and albums and find anything about drugging and raping chicks. Well, there is apparently. 
Really? So, yeah. I mean, firstly, all the titles of the albums now, because I was actually cleaning out some stuff at home and found a whole bunch, and they all have names that have not aged well in light of the allegations Shut against him. Oh, they've all just, yeah, there's, there's a Sleepy whole... Sleepy Pearl. Yeah, there's a whole, like, literally, <laughs> like, every one of them reads bad now. Snoring blowjob. Yeah, even just the best of Bill Cosby. You're like, no, <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> none of them have aged well, Bill. Yeah. But... There is. There's some people who've gone through and there's actually, and in fact, there's one story that is essentially about drugging somebody. Well, you know, that was super common in the 70s. Like, right. yeah, you know, there was, a, when that Bill Cosby thing came out, there were people, a couple people that I think they've probably scrubbed the internet. But like, even Hugh Hefner was like, some girl was like, no, when I met Hugh Hefner, he gave me a quaalude to loosen up. And he's like, oh, yeah, we call them panty droppers. Oh, I mean, there's stories around. You don't want to dig too deep into, you know, that scene that was around David Bowie and Mick Jagger and all that sort of the parties they were going to and all those sort of things. A lot of that stuff's, I mean, and again, a lot of it like wasn't is, I mean, fuck, who knows? It was different times. Who fucking knows? Like, you know, what ifs. But, but it. I don't know. Why were we talking about that? We're talking about... Oh, because you were talking, talking about getting into stand-up and just kind of like joining the circus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Doesn't matter. Doesn't yeah. matter. Lost my train of thought. Anyway, we should finish up. Uh, How long are we gone? Well, it's an hour and 20, and yeah. you've got other shit to do no, today. No, I don't have to do shit. No, you I, have to... I, uh, yeah, at 4 o'clock, I, got, I think oh, I got... Oh, 4. Yeah. So we got, we got a little time? I talking, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, this is one of the best conversations okay. I've ever had. Well, let's have a pause then, and okay. then we'll... Well, I'm going to go to the bathroom, and we'll okay. come back. Yeah, cool. All right, we're back. We're back. We had a little break, but we're back. Um, yeah. I was going to get a drink, but I forgot to get a drink. But it's okay. I got enough there. I can get through to the end of the podcast. Uh, I won't I, keep you too much longer. I don't, but, you, but I'm, I'm, I'm you're not, you're not, you're not like keep, talking. You're not keeping me at all. In fact, I, you know, I'm happy to continue talking. But yeah. uh, I, you know, I was just cognizant of the fact that it was also Monday morning, and yeah. you know, you had spoken to me about the fact that you have quite a busy week, and no, my, my and busy. also we'd fucking just got some gold out already. So yeah. I thought yeah. people had, you know, if nothing. Else, Else, they'd already got their free podcast worth of entertainment. Oh, yeah. You know, my so fans, this I've, is just bonus I started, now. I started looking at what makes my podcast good, like where my numbers were. So, like, I told you I did that five-hour podcast, yep. and it, it doubled my numbers. My numbers doubled for that, and I was like, that's odd. And then I found out when I drank, my numbers jumped. Right. So if I drink and I do a long <laughs> one, people lose their minds. Yeah, I mean that's you know not great for you you know your future health, yeah. but if you have to I'm tie be drinking anyway, if you have to tie yourself to that business model, <laughs> yeah. you're like you know if you've seen Bert, you know he's actually been doing a podcast since May, <laughs> literally just he's drink he's drinking constantly, hasn't been asleep yeah. yet. I, it's um it's funny because I don't drink on stage technically, right? Like I technically, what does well, that like mean? If somebody drink. oh you bring a drink on, I bring a drink on. If someone sends a shot, I don't turn it down. Right. but I don't get drunk on stage. Uh-huh. Um, like I did three shows. Saturday in Houston, and uh, I drank one Tito's and soda on the late show at 11.30. That's it. But everyone thinks I'm fucking hammered. Like, everyone thinks... So it's like a great business model for me because I do like to get hammered. So when I do get hammered, no one blames me. But I don't perform hammered. So, like, so like, I, like I will go in and do press and drink at press because I go, I don't want to be here. Like it's six in the morning, right. I'm hungover, and then they're like, "You want to drink?" I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it." So then I, sometimes I go on TV drunk, and people are like, "Did you see him?" But anyone who's a fan's like, "I fucking loved it." I uh, when we taped, not my last special, but the special before, it was at the Sydney Opera House, and yeah. uh, it was the first time that I'd ever. I think I might, yeah, maybe it was the first time I'd ever played the main room at the Opera House, and. 
How big is that? Uh, two and a half thousand, maybe. Holy it's a, it's shit! A, it's a decent room, and it's the it's the and it, but it's also it's the main room at the Sydney Opera House. It's the yeah. concert hall at the Sydney Opera House. It's you know it's it in prestige. You know, it's not the biggest venue. It's yeah. not even probably the best venue to play, but it's in prestige wise. It's like you know it's a big deal and. So we were taping two shows that night for the special, right? And the idea is like, you know, the first one was packed full. The second one was pretty much full. But like the idea was, you know, you do the first show, um, you get that. And then, you know, just anything you didn't get right in the first show, you've got the second show to make sure that you, yeah. you, know, you get that right or whatever. You know, that's the model. <clears throat> so I, I do the first show. But what I've done on this night is I've forgotten because it's like a night and we're taping it and I've got to get makeup and hair and blah, blah, blah. I just, when I did the first, like the first show was technically very competent. I hit all the yeah. jokes and if that's, if we'd only taped one show, then you would have used the first show and you would have been happy with how the special yeah. went. But because I had it in the can, what I then did was like, ah, oh, fuck it. All right, I'm going to have some beers. Uh, we may have gone outside. Uh, come back inside. Um, and then I just loved the second show because yeah. it felt like what it is actually like. If you came to see me do a night of stand up comedy, that's what it's going to look like more than the first one, which was more technically proficient. Like, yeah. there's a whole improv bit in the special, like, because it was second show and I just like found myself in a weird hole in a bit I'd done like a thousand times. But that night it just came out different. And I like, and, and it's in the special. I've yeah. never told that joke that way any other time, but it's the recorded version that people will go, oh, well, I guess that was the version of the joke. It's yeah. not at all. Yeah. But I just loved that show. And I didn't think I looked too fucked up. Like, like we released it. We, it's essentially the whole show is just that second show. Like, you know, we barely, I think, used anything at all from the first show in the, yeah. in the show. My hair's a little floppier. You know, in the first show, it's all neat and in yeah. place. In the second show, it kind of flops out. And, and, and I'm definitely looser, but I was like, I don't know, people won't think I'm fucked up. And then every now and again, I just get a message from someone online going, how fucked up were you during that show? And I'm like, oh, because I, I, in my head, I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine. No yeah. one can tell. And then occasionally someone can tell. And I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, okay. I went, when I was young, we did this thing called Premium Blend. And there was a comic there who was like, uh, I need a beer. By the way, I, I probably, the very first time I ever did stand up, <clears throat> I was about to have a drink. And this guy, Christian Harloff, said to me, and this is in Tallahassee. And I went to get a beer and he goes, hey man, nothing for nothing. That's a really bad habit to start right now. And he goes, because if you need that to get on tonight, you'll always need it. So do it sober and see if you like it. So I did it totally sober. <clears throat> and, then I, and then I would have beers sometimes, but not really wasn't something I needed. But then we did this taping and I watched this comic and they wouldn't allow him to have a drink on stage. And he didn't know what to do with his hand right? because he'd always had a beer in his hand. And his and it was I was like oh shit and he was so uncomfortable and I was like oh I'm never gonna let that happen and so I've always tried to work like I'll bring a drink on stage with me but <clears throat> very seldomly do I touch it and but on the late shows when I start telling the machine story I go all right I'm gonna murder this drink and get through this story I uh I I was just doing uh, just for laughs in Montreal and one of the things that um. I, I just, my set at the gala, I just did too fast. It's a mistake that I can sometimes make when I'm just not quite on it or yeah. like that or whatever is like, <laughs> I can speed up 
and really the trick is to slow down. Yeah. But what I realized was part of it was environmental because my classic slow down move is to just lean back to that stool because I always have the stool literally just basically right next to me and I will have a drink there, right? Yeah. And I can just either lean on the stool or just like touch my drink or just like go to grab my drink or have a drink or whatever. And that'll slow me. But when I was out there and I was already at this pace that I shouldn't have been at, you know, yeah. I was just a little bit you know, bigger than I needed to be. I had nothing. I had no brakes. Like, you know, yeah. I just couldn't find a mechanism, like a different physical thing where I could just go, this steps me out of it and gives me a little break, which going and getting a drink or having a sip or like doing whatever, it can just break and you can reset a little. Oh, they, that's what I, they just, we had to talk about touring um, and about my special, I'm shooting a special in February. And my agents were like, hey, because I'm doing it at the Trocadero. They're like, you probably should do some similar rooms right? because you, there is a pacing like when you go into a theater and it's just pitch black, you're like, oh, now I'm just monologuing. Like, I'm not really connecting with anyone. I'm just right. monologuing. You're like, oh, yeah, I should probably do some of those. So, so I don't Get know. the rhythm. Like, I mean, yeah. well, that's, hard, that's the hard thing to do about doing a big show. Like, if you do the opera house, it's hard to say, hey, can I come and do four nights at the opera house before I do? <laughs> Is there a similar room like this in Des Moines? <laughs> yeah, you guys, yeah. Is there, yeah, yeah. Can I play the Wagga Wagga yeah. Opera House? Yeah, Is yeah, there yeah. A- yeah. No, I, I, uh, I, do, I love clubs. I did my last special in a club, and I was going to do this one in a club. But, uh, but yeah, I think the next one I do, I might go back and do a, like a club show. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, I quite like the idea of doing some big ones for a while, but I, I feel like I wouldn't mind shooting a little like, cause I actually think when you watch them, like a club show feels, you can actually get more into the rhythm. Cause the thing about watching stand up on DVD or whatever, cause a lot of people <laughs> do it these days. So you just got to acknowledge that they do is that you're very disconnected from the experience that the audience is having there in the room. Yeah. And I think sometimes in the really big shows, you just get completely disconnected. Whereas in the smaller shows, the club shows, like a lot of Stanhope stuff, for example, he always, his stuff's always filmed, you know, pretty yeah. much in like small venues. And you can actually sort of get in the rhythm of going, I can almost feel like I'm here. Yeah. I could almost be leaning at the bar <clears throat> at the back of this show, you know? Yeah, I, I feel like that too. But, you know, the buyer's, that's part of the reason I'm doing Australia is that you want to show the buyer, oh, I can play to an international market so that they go, oh, we can, you know, but then they go, because what their parameters are, they're like big theaters. I want to show that we have stars here. And part of me is like, no, nah. like my favorite uh, Louis special is the one he did at the store. Like that was just, it was just intimate. I love that shit. But yeah. yeah, no, I mean, there's a difference, obviously, you know, and because this is the funny thing about it. We started talking before about that idea of like just pursuing what it is that you artistically want to do. But of course, you are also in like show business and like half of yeah. that word is business. And so there is a part of it that you're like, well, I'd like to be able to do whatever the fuck I like oh, to do. There's but so also I need to fucking mirrors to right. this business. Like we're talking about like right now I'm doing clubs. I'm doing 450 seaters in most 400 seater clubs selling out uh, six shows a weekend and making really good money. And they're like, in order to take a step forward, you need to take two steps back. You need to do thousand seaters, like club theaters. You're going to make a a quarter of the money, but it'll look good to everyone in the industry. And then we can sell your story. I'm like, fuck that. The story is I'd rather make, (laughs) I'd rather make, you know, X amount of dollars at a club and walk away and, and buy a fucking pool right. and pay cash for it than do a theater. Like, who are we doing this for? Like, you know, no other business do you take a step back to, like, 
Like, no relation. They're like, so I know this relationship's going really good, but we're going to start doing threesomes. Trust me, it'll be better for us in the long run. You're like, no, it's not. Well, the most successful season of shows, like profitable season of shows I've yeah. ever done in my entire life. And this is a, just a great example of, of what you're talking about because yeah. I've been lucky enough at home. I have like, you know, I mean, Melbourne Comedy Festival, you know, play 21, 22 shows in a, you know, thousand seat theatre. Like, you know, Jesus a lot of people Christ. come and see shows, right? Yeah. But, you know, you also have to hire a thousand seat theatre and all the people that come with a thousand seat theatre. And, and by the all way, those. it's the exact same amount of people you have to hire in a thousand seat theatre than you do for a six thousand seat theatre. Right. There's no difference in what it costs to operate a theatre at a thousand versus operating a theatre at six thousand. The goal is to put you in a six thousand seater right. where you're walking with 150 grand. But in order to walk with 150 grand, you got to walk with 10 when you can make 50. So best thing I ever did and the most enjoyable run of shows I ever did, most profitable I ever did. And the, the reason I'm telling you this story is because it's so nonsensical that I've never done it again. It's an exact yeah. example of what you're talking about, which is the idea of like, for some reason when I film the special or you know you do these sort of things, you go, I'm going to do it at the Opera House. I, I see none of that money. Yeah. By the time we film the fucking special and we pay the fucking Opera House and blah, 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 blah. You're like, I did all this work and like thousands <laughs> of people came and everyone got paid but me. Yeah. You know, like- I'm the last one to get paid from this house. It's even possible. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, but I did this run of shows at the Sydney Comedy Store. I was in Sydney and I was, uh, they have their regular show at 8.30. Yeah. And I, I was like, hey, can I just come down and do my show at seven? They don't normally have anything on at seven. I was like, I just want to I just want to come oh, down and do yeah. the show at seven. I'll be done by like 8.05. You know, you can roll in your other crowd. And back then, they were also at a point in their evolution where I was like, and you know what? If people are having a good night, I'll just you know, tell them to stick around. And there was a few nights early on, particularly in the midweeks, where for them, having like another 40 or 50 people who might roll into the the actual main show of the night was like cool for them as well. Yeah. So I ended up like, I was like, I think I was going to do four weeks at the start. Like, and I was thinking I was doing like Tuesday through Saturday or whatever I was, yeah, I was doing, but it just kept selling yeah. because all I had to sell every night was 280 tickets. Like, you know, so like, you're not really like, and it would just, we weren't advertising it. I was doing a bit of radio or whatever, but like, you know, I mean, it just would sell because people would come along and have a good time Yeah. and they would tell other people to come. And so we just kept doing it. And I ended up doing like, 10 weeks or something ridiculous of this show but it was the best job of all time because i would get up like in the day i'd you know do whatever else i had to achieve i'd go down there at seven i'd be done at 805 like i'd be home at like 825 oh my god but it was like a it was like a day job yeah it was like being able to do my show it was i guess it was like the equivalent of like if you're on broadway or if you're on blah 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 where you could just go or vegas yeah where you're like oh well this is my job every night at this time of the night i do my show but other than that, I can just get on with my life. And it was the best. I'm doing, uh, I I'm should doing do it again. Denver. <laughs> I'm doing Denver in a couple of weeks. And they, I, look, I don't know how it went down. I'll just tell you my, from what I heard, they were like, she doesn't think you can sell a weekend. And I was like, in my head, I was like, I can definitely sell a weekend, but whatever, that's fine. Just give me an off night. And they're like, she'll give you a Sunday night. So Sunday night sold out in like 30 minutes. And they're like, yeah, you want to do another Sunday show? I go, yeah. So we had another Sunday show. That sells out. They're like, you want to do a Monday show? I go, yeah. They go, hey, you want to do another Monday show? I go, yeah. And they're like, hey, do you want to do Tuesday? And in my head, I go, yeah, just book me Tuesday and Wednesday, and then I'll stick around for Stanhope on Thursday, and then see what she's got the next weekend. I'll do Friday, Saturday, Sunday if she wants to. And it's the best money I'll ever make, and right. it's the most fun I'll have, because it's just Monday, just walking down to the club doing a show. Right. Oh, it's the fucking best. And in Denver. Yeah, and in Denver. <laughs> oh, I can't fucking wait. But like these, like the, the shows that stress me out are these like three show shit. That's all right. No worries. It's the beauty of podcasting. It's uh, 
these shows on uh, Saturday, when you do three shows on Saturday, those stress me out. Because I'm like, fuck. Right. Like, I would love to find a place where you just do one hour every single night. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the secret. So that was the great joy of these shows was it's just the hour. It's not doubles on Fridays or Saturdays or triples or whatever oh, it is that takes so all great. the joy out of it. It's just doing your show that every night. It takes all the fucking joy out of it. My Thursdays are my favorite shows ever because I go in and I, it's just one show. I usually do like an hour 40, just one show. And I'm like, I'm fucking around. I'm writing on stage. I'm taking old stories and, and doing like best ofs for people. Because like a lot of times with storytellers, people want to hear stories they've heard before. Right. You know, they're like, like, and so I don't mind that. If it's a Thursday show and I don't have a second show, I'll tell them. But, uh, but yeah, I love a one show. I want to do that. I want to just move. Like, what the fuck am I doing in LA? I should just move to a town. I, w- I would love a residency in Vegas. Right. I would love a residency in Vegas. Ralphie May. You know Ralphie May? Yeah. Ralphie May got off for a residency in Vegas. He's like, I don't know if I should take it. And I go, are you kidding me? You're in Vegas. You could get a trainer. You could you could live a life and then just go to stand up at night. Right. Once a night. Once a night. Yeah. At the same place. At the same place. Essentially, they- you just have a job that goes for an hour. Oh. You walk in, you're like, and they know what you want. You're like, salmon, broccoli. Right. And they got it ready for you. That's where you eat your dinner. They got a double Tito's and soda waiting for you at the end of the show. You got, you can have your own weed. You don't have to travel with it. You just take a bong hit when you're done. <laughs> I'm fucking into a residency. All right. Well, let's hope you get one out of this podcast. Uh, Please. Big Vegas listenership, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so um, can I uh, ask you this? Tell us about, um, well, I mean, this podcast also is listened to by a whole bunch of American people. So anything you want to plug, but particularly let's talk about the fact that you're coming down to Australia. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, uh, September, do you know your dates or where do they find them? Where's the best place for them to go to find information about uh, you? I think you can go to birdbirdbird.com, but I'll tell you right now. Perth, uh, I'm in Singapore the 9th. Perth the 11th, Sydney the 13th, okay. Melbourne the 14th. Do you have the venues there? Are you able? No, no. That oh was, yeah, yeah. I yeah. actually do. Okay. I can tell you my. I'll tell tell you, me where you are. By in the way, those I'll tell places. you where I am, and I'll tell you how many pe- tickets I've sold. Okay, <laughs> this will be good. And then we can see the bump when the podcast comes out. We can yeah. do a very accurate bump of people coming out to see the show. <laughs> All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. These are the tickets I've sold. <laughs> um. I'm at the Soda Theater in Singapore. Okay. It seats 600. How are you going? I've sold 158. I reckon, you know what? I've heard about Singapore, late buyers. That's good. I reckon that's good. Late buyers. If you're curious, that's 26% of the. I don't think that's too bad, actually. Still a month away, right? That's that's, that's okay. I think this is that Singapore's looking all right to me. I feel Uh, feel good about it. Yeah. Octagon uh, Theater in uh perth is seat 680 i'm at 580 that's gonna sell out that yeah is also gonna be a really really fun show it's gonna be a lot of fun that is one of my favorite venues uh in australia to perform at the octagon theater yeah uh it's it's at a university it's it genuinely is kind of an octagon shaped thing like the audience are in it like but it's just it, yeah, you're going to have a really good time there. Get uh, tickets to that. There's only a few left to that one. So yeah, get tickets Perth is going to sell out. Sydney yep. is, I'm at the Emmore. Oh, beautiful. Emmore hey, here we go. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, it's a beautiful theater. 1,500. We're at 800. So it's over half sold, but that'll probably sell. I reckon that's going to yeah. sell out as well. Yeah, Sydney. Oh, man. Sold out Emmore. This is, that's, you know, the Rolling Stones played at the Emmore. This is like, a, really? yeah, this is like, look, you'll look at the posters on the wall. I've seen, a heap of the best gigs I've ever seen in my life at the Emmore. Um, that would be great. You'll yeah, love that's that. over half sold. So that, I, usually I can tell if I can get to half a month out, usually yeah. it picks up. 
um, Melbourne. I'm at the Comedy Theater. Oh, Seaside. So this is where that's. Uh, what does it say? Tell me. So it's nine nine fifty. Right. Okay. Nine fifty. So yeah. that's what the, that's the one I play in, during the comedy festival. Yeah. The comedy theater. You'll yeah. like that too. That's a real fun theater. That's a seven twenty. That'll sell out. I think. Yeah. And then that Brisbane. Will. We're in the Tivoli. That's seat six fifty. We're at the uh, five eighty. So that's that's gonna sell out too. Yeah. But, All right. But um, Sydney's the big place. That'd be cool. I've never I've never performed by myself for fifteen hundred. The only like meaning like I booked them. Right. Um. The most I ever did was the Wilbur seats twelve. And uh, and and we you know month out we were at fifty percent and it and it sold out and uh, that was one of the most amazing shows I ever had. Well, I'm gonna say I, I've got a pretty good feeling about this. I feel like that Sydney and more show. And, yeah. and again, if you're in Sydney, go out and see it because I reckon that may well be the big one for you. It might, yeah. I reckon you're gonna get over those numbers. So oh, yeah, I that'll be exciting, that. right? I would really love that. That would be fun. that'd be a fun show to be at as well. Just like I think it's fun to be at those shows for comedians as well. Yeah. Like you know, if you're at something where for them it's a bit of a big deal, fun and special we, we big deal little, night. I made yeah. a big mistake at in Boston at the Wilbur um, I had never performed in anything that big that I had sold tickets to mean, meaning me and I was like I gotta see what it's like to look from the top I wanna you know right. so I got up in the top of the, sh- the club and I was like maybe I'll grab a beer you know grab a beer up here and bring it on stage and I go and, it, and I didn't realize there's 1200 people that wanna see me so as soon as I show up everyone fucking loses their shit like, right. like oh what the fuck are you doing up here and then I was like, and I ruined the poor guy on stage. There was a huge, because I didn't realize that they're there to see me. You know, it's like so often you're so used to right. just people being in the club and you can yeah. walk through. You can do your bit and then just yeah. sneak up the back and have it. Yeah, like, and so that was crazy. That Emor will be a, a big deal for right. me. I'll, 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 well, I'll, it's a very I'll, exciting venue and they're brilliant crew there at the Emor too. They'll look after you. You'll yeah. have a... A genuinely good time with that. Well, mate, uh, you said normally when you do one show in a night, it goes for an hour and 40, and we have uh, pretty much got to an hour and 40, so I think oh, that's pretty good timing. This has been a blast. When are you going to do my podcast? Well, it's called The Burtcast, yeah. right? And people can find that in the places that they find podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we'll do that for sure. Please. Yeah. Please. Yeah, we'll definitely do we'll that. have some uh, Fosters. That's a big... Um, what, what's the beer you guys have in Australia? Well, you know, the fun thing is that in Australia, no we don't have Fosters. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it's it's an imported beer. It's a yeah. beer that we sell to the world, but that no one in Australia drinks. What's the one you guys drink that uh, I had? All sorts of different ones What's in Australia. Well, you, you're in Sydney, yeah. so maybe, I don't know, uh, Tui's, Cooper's? No. no. I can't remember. I don't know. It would well, depend. Well, well you, you gotta are. have my. You gotta gotta have you on my podcast. This but yes, I was gonna say. Easy. I was gonna say about the Fosters though. That uh, Gareth. Do you know Gareth Reynolds? Do you yeah, know who Gareth yeah. is? So the other night he came over to do the podcast and uh, he brought me as a joke like a giant can <laughs> of Fosters. And then the other night when I had run out of beer and I was looking at it going. <laughs> Yeah, all right, all right. I'm going to drink a giant can of Foster's. Yeah. Like, you know what? I'm an Australian overseas. I can do this. And i got to be honest with you, I quite enjoyed it. And then you went on in your balcony to have a cigarette, and there's a black guy next to you, and he's drinking a, a thing of old E. And you guys look at each other, you're like, ah, turns out uh, we like what we like. You know what? Sometimes stereotypes are stereotypes, you know? Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on, you mate. Thank I you very much. It. Thank you, Will.